You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Starting off a series called Slow Down and Worship, and we're especially looking at some of the songs of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 67 through 80, and we're going to be looking at Zechariah's song. And let me just give you just a little bit of background. There's been about 400 prophecies talking about the Messiah. Uh, somewhere around that amount. And, and God's people are waiting for the Messiah to come and, and to change the world. And, and then we come to the end of the New Testament in Malachi chapter 4, and it reads this way. It says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. This is the end of the Old Testament. It's kind of like a cliffhanger. That people are like, what does this mean? I mean, we know who Elijah was. I mean, he was a great prophet. He confronted evil. He tried to get people to come back to God. But in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elijah was taken up to heaven never to be seen again. And, and so what does Elijah have to do with this? And, and, and people are are puzzled and they're trying to figure this out. And then guess what? God goes silent. No more talking, no more prophets, no angels, nothing. I, I remember when I was a kid, I had a Sunday school teacher that said, hey, turn to your Bibles, come to the end of the Old Testament. And after the Old Testament, there's this blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't know if it's that way in your Bible or not. But she said, I want you to always remember, this means 400 years of silence. She was like, it's not written there, but just, you just always remember that. And so between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak. It seems like nothing is happening. Has anybody ever gotten a silent treatment from somebody? <laughs> anybody ever given a silent treatment to someone? It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? Kind of makes you a little angry, a little passive-aggressive, isolated, frustrated. Sometimes it feels like God is silent in our life at times. Sometimes we pray for something to happen over and over again. It doesn't seem like God's answering. And and sometimes it just seems like God is so far away. I mean, we, we read our Bibles and we come to church and we, we sing Christmas songs and we, we go to Sunday school and we go to life group, but it, it just seems like God is far away. It, it seems like God is silent. Now, sometimes that's because God's told us to do something. And we say, God, I'm not really interested in doing that. And so we don't want to really get too close to God because we're con confronted with that. Sometimes God says, hey, you have a sin to deal with. And like, I, I don't want to really talk about that, God. That's for another time and another place. And God says, no, I want you to deal with that. And you kind of put God like this. 
and you blame it on God being silent, but in reality, you've kind of given God the, the silent treatment. For God's people, it appears that God is silent. But I want to remind us that even in the appearance of God's silence, he's still working. There was two big, at least two big things that happened during these 400 years. First of all, there was a common language that emerged during the time of Alexander the Great. It became a universal language, Koine Greek. And this was very impactful. It made things happen a lot easier. But I want to fast forward to thinking about how it made the gospel spread. By having this universal language, God's word could spread much easier in the future, especially as we move into the New Testament. The second thing happened was a worldwide system of roads and transportation was built by the Romans. You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Roman, the Romans provided an efficient means for travel for the military and for trade purposes. It was easy for people to travel because of this. But this made it also easy for God's word to spread through Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Luke and, and numerous others, it made it easier for churches to start. And, and just because it appears that, that God is silent doesn't mean that he's not working. Even in our own lives, it, it, God may seem distant, but I want you to remember that God is still working. Now, God's people, they, they didn't like being under the Roman rule, on having to deal with the taxation, and, and, and they longed, and they just wanted the Messiah to come and, and turn everything upside down. And finally, we get to Luke chapter 1, and God breaks his silence. And there's a priest named Zechariah, not the same Zechariah in the Old Testament, and he is married to a woman named Elizabeth, who happens to be the daughter of a priest. And it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were what? They were righteous. Not perfect, but they were trying to do all the right things in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And they had what? No children, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, in that culture, it was thought as a blessing to have many children. It was expected, especially when you got old, your children took care of you. And if your husband died, that would especially that responsibility of taking care of your mom went upon the children. And if you didn't have children, then they thought something was wrong with you. You must be cursed by God. That's why it's important to realize in the scripture it said that they were both righteous. They were both obeying. They were both doing the right thing. But when we come to verse 7, it's pretty brutal. It says they can't have children and they're what? Old. So they had been praying over and over and over again. Lord, help us to have children. And the scripture just kind of lays it out plain. Yeah, they're not able to have children, and they're old. I'm sure they would have been mocked. People would have asked questions. I mean, here you are. You're a priest. You're a priest's wife, and God's not blessing you with children? People don't ever talk like that, right? It says one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple 
for his order was on duty that week. And was the, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And I've read this scripture several times, and, and I didn't think a whole lot about it, but I want to give you a little bit more context to this, because this is a big deal. There, there were 24 divisions of priests. And each division had about 900 priests per division. And so you, if I did my math right, that's about 21,600 priests total. Each division would serve in the temple at least one week every six months. There was many other things that they did as well. And so finally, Zechariah's division is chosen to serve in the temple and the priests would normally get there before dawn and, and clean out the temple. They would be vacuuming the rug and they would be dusting and, and, and everything that needed to be done to clean. And, and then there were three big jobs that every priest wanted. And this was chosen by Lot. The first was to rekindle the, the fire of the altar and to serve the morning sacrifice. And then the second was to be the officiating priest of the day. And then the third was to trim the golden candlestick and to prepare the incense in the holy place, the holy of holies. And this was the one that everyone really wanted. But Zechariah, out of 900 men, was chosen for this task. This is a big deal. Zechariah gets to do this. And most priests, when they went in, they would try to burn this incense pretty quickly. Because you had this reverence, you were a little scared that you might do something wrong in there and God might strike you dead. And so most people went in there pretty quickly, but Zechariah ended up staying a little bit longer. Because when he was in there, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, speaks to him. God has broken his silence after 400 years. And of course, just like we would be, Zechariah was scared. Gabriel says, you're going to have a son, and his name's going to be John, whose name means the Lord is gracious. He's not to drink. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to appoint people to the Messiah. And remember those odd verses at the end of the Old Testament that talked about Elijah? Now, they make, may, may make a little bit more sense. Verse 17, he'll be a man in the spirit and the power of who? Elijah. Oh, okay. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the Father to their children. And he will cause them who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Guess what? God hasn't forgotten his people. God's not done working. And Zechariah will have a son who will prepare God's people for the Messiah, just like the prophet Elijah did. Now, Zechariah is a practical man. And so he says, well, how can this happen? I mean, me and my wife, we're almost in diapers, and you're telling us we're about to change diapers. I just don't know about this. I mean, my 80-year-old wife is going to go into the bathroom carrying a stick, and she's going to come out with a little pregnancy thing with a plus sign on it? I mean, it's just hard for him to fathom. It's hard for him to absorb the information. 
Now, in fairness to Zechariah, I doubt that he was going in to burn this incense and thinking about procreation at the time. I, I mean, I'm thinking, he's thinking, oh man, I gotta do this right and I can't mess this up. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm doing all of these things for God. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel just knocks him for a loop. He, he says, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, this is Gabriel, you will be what? Silent. silent. There's our word again. Silent. Silence just keeps on popping up and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. And then he, then he finally did come out. He couldn't speak to them. Zechariah couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So we fast forward, this 80-year-old woman, Elizabeth, becomes pregnant. She has her first baby shower at the age of 80. Nine months of not hearing her husband's voice. Some of you might rejoice with that. I'm not saying she did. The baby is finally born. Years of prayer, years of heartache, finally answered. And the baby comes out of the womb. That first cry, holding him for the first time. And everyone assumes that his name will be Zechariah. But Elizabeth says, no, it's to be John. And, and, and then they go to Zeke and they ask him. And he motioned for a writing tablet. To everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is to be what? John, who we would call John the Baptist. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God, worshiping God. Zeke's first words after silence, after not being able to talk, Gabriel, I got your message. I know what his name is to be. His name is to be John, and I'm going to be praising God. He's going to point people to the Messiah. And then we see this beautiful song that I'm going to read somewhat through quickly. It starts off this way. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy and promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to, to grant us that, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And now he talks about his son, John the Baptist, and he says, and you, child, will be called prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This song is poetic it speaks of prophecy, it's, it's worship. Prophets from the past, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, predicted the Messiah would come. 
And I believe that this is probably the last prophecy telling of Jesus' coming before he actually is born. It's a song of faith. The Messiah is going to come. And in the song, we get a picture, pictures of salvation. You'll see them come up on screen. You see wording such as redeem his people, or your translation might say purchase from slavery, saved or delivered from enemies and danger, forgiveness of sin, to be a light in the darkness and a shadow of death. We see the very word salvation. This is good news. The Messiah is going to come and change everything. Now, they expected an earthly king, someone that was going to totally turn everything upside down. And, and the Messiah definitely did turn everything upside down. It just isn't going to be the way that everyone thinks it's going to be. But I want to point out a phrase that I had never really spent time thinking about in this song. Did you notice he used the word horn of salvation? A horn symbolizes strength and protection. And most of the time in the Old Testament, they were referring to the horn of a bull or an ox or a goat or a ram. And they would use it as a defense or, or, a, uh, or as a weapon. But at the end of the day, a horn symbolizes strength and protection. Uh, Psalm 18.2 uses this. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, whom I take refuge, my shield, and what? The horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In the Bible, the horn showed, it reminded us that God is our strength. He's there with us through our hardest times in life. Also, in the Bible, we see that horns of animals were used as a trumpet to blow, to show victory in the battle. And then in light of this, uh, God's song is, a, is one of strength and protection and victory. In the book, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Rock Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis talks about a young lady named Lucy, and she's given a horn, and she's told this. When you put, when you put this horn to your lips and blow it, then wherever you are, I think some help or I think help of some kind will come to you. And basically, whenever she was afraid, basically, whenever things became tough, she picked up the horn and she remembered to blow the horn, and that horn symbolized Christ. It symbolized Messiah. You know what? This is a good reminder for us as well. We are to remember the horn, that the horn is our strength, and our protector, and will never let us down. Some of you this morning, this Christmas season, it's tough. It's lonely. It's a time of grief. And some of you this morning are going through some difficult times. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe you feel like you're in that time of silence. And what I want to remind you is remember the horn. Remember the horn of your salvation. Take time to slow down. And embrace the horn of your salvation. God is with you. Even when you don't feel like he is. He's our refuge. He's our rock. He's our horn. For others of you, during this season, you need to take some time to slow down. Because you've got so many things going on. I mean, you're, you're getting ready for the Christmas parties. And you're putting up Christmas decorations. 
And you're putting up Christmas lights that are made from the devil, that, that, that make you just so angry. I could vent on this, and I will for just a second, but if your Christmas goes, lights go out that you put on the outside of your house, they don't make them the same length. And so then you have to go and get two, and it doesn't fit exactly. And then you have to get an extension cord. And it doesn't make me feel like worshiping at that moment. But I know I'm preaching a sermon on slow down and worship. Sometimes we get caught up into fixing the food and, and the gifts that we got to buy and all of these things. But what I'm encouraging you to do is to slow down and take a deep breath. Remember the gift that God has brought us this season. That Jesus came to earth. He's Emmanuel. And let's not major and let's not get stressed out about all of these little things. So what if the meal's not perfect? And so what if you don't get the perfect present? And so what if the house is dirty? Let's not let this season pass by and us forget to worship. 